0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So we're continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke this morning. And uh, Dr. Luke has worked hard to give us this eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. Last week we heard Jesus' first sermon to his hometown church. So he's becoming um notable he's becoming famous and he comes home everybody's there and uh and he made this shocking claim i want to be reminded of this with you if you can look with me at 4:18 to 19 Luke 4:18 to 19 so jesus here is reading a section from the prophet isaiah the prophet's talking about this mysterious figure called The servant of the Lord who's who's really going to come and overwhelm everything. He's going to renew everything. He's going to change societal structures. He's going to lift up the poor. Well, let's look at it. What does Jesus say? Luke 4, 18 and 19. He's quoting from Isaiah. Jesus said in that message, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, as everybody's eyes are on him, he sits down, they look at him, and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So it's really an incredible claim, isn't it? All the promises of God throughout what we would call the Old Testament, Jesus reads it in this sermon, sits down, they're all looking at him, and says, I'm the one today, right here. I'm all the promises fulfilled. I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm the one coming with the message. Did you, see, did you see him? One, two, three. He's got a message, right? He's the servant of the Lord with a message. And who's he speaking to? Good news to the, to the poor. So those who are lost, those who are broken, those who are outsiders, good news. Uh, another thing he's got to proclaim. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the Who? captives. So you're in debt, you're in bondage, you're in slavery, you're in addiction. Uh, You can't get out. Someone owns you. He's going to proclaim liberty. There's another thing he wanted to proclaim. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We can at least say this, it's time for God's grace to land. God is going to come to those who don't deserve it. He's going to come to the outsider. He's going to come to the helpless, and he is going to generously love them and bless them and, and restore their fortunes. He's gonna heal them. And then Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the one. What a message, huh? What an incredible message. Can any of you use a little bit of that? Jesus' grace, <laughs> Jesus' favor, Jesus' provision. Promising, isn't it? Liberation. I think the question for the text today is, uh, it's for the skeptic. So you ever been to a sermon He said, well, that sounds nice. But is this, is this real? Can this be real? Can, you really, can this really happen? Nice words, but uh, is there any reality here? Um, you think anybody might have thought that when Jesus is like, hey, Isaiah 61, right here? I think Luke has anticipated us. If we're saying, yeah, I don't know, prove it, Luke says, okay. Okay. Jesus even says, okay, I'll prove it. I'm the one whose word has authority to liberate. So, this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to see two examples from just the beginning of Jesus' ministry of his authority to set people free because of who he is. Two examples. Then, we're going to see the scope of his liberation. Who's it for? Was it just for people back then? Is it just for people who go to church? Who's it for? So two examples of liberation, the scope of Jesus' liberation, and then the last one we're going to go into, I guess, the depths of his liberation. What it means for us today. So let's look. First of all, two examples of liberation. Now, this is a story. See, let's, if you can, try to imagine you're there. He's teaching them on the Sabbath. Verse 32, how does the audience feel? And they were? Astonished at his teaching. Now, I wish I could pull that off. If you could see yourselves from up here, some of you are tracking, others of you are trying. Some of you, I'm giving the gift of peaceful rest. Um, Jesus' audience is astonished, jaw dropping. Wouldn't you have loved to hear him preach? Wouldn't you have loved to hear him speak? And we've all heard great speakers that can just wow us and enable us, but all the more if it's Jesus. Uh, Moreover, the text brings out he speaks with, they're astonished because of his authority. So back in the day, if you were a Pharisee or a scribe, to make a point, you gotta cite this guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy. And Rabbi this said this, and Rabbi that said that, and see, my point is decent, because they've all said it. And Jesus is just like, whatever, truly I say to you, I am the authority. It's as if he thinks he knows it all. It's as if he thinks he's sent from God and he knows all about life and righteousness and love and joy and how to live. That's him. And so he speaks with authority and you just, you, you couldn't help but be, the audience couldn't help but be transfixed. You know, we have to try to get people to listen to us. Jesus would run to the wilderness to get away. They just, even if they hated him or they loved him, you couldn't stop listening to him. He teaches with authority, wow. So here he is, he's preaching in the synagogue, and then look at verse 33. This is an interesting church service, okay? In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and all of a sudden, he cries out with a loud voice, ha, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, if you were were one of the few people who could sleep during one of Jesus' sermons, you're awake now. Right, You're awake now. Have you ever been in a service where something really awkward happens? If you've been here for very long, yeah, okay. (laughs) It does happen occasionally. Somebody out there, and and we're all just, what's going on? Well, and not only that, imagine if the person's demon-possessed. What does that feel like? What does that sound like? And for him to start yelling at the speaker, oh, my gosh. Um, Jesus is cooler than I am. You know, he just... (laughs) He handles it so well. But uh, what's going on here? Here Jesus' word has authority, and then a demon just erupts. If you you think back, just the biblical storyline, how do demons interplay with God's authority? Right? You think back in Genesis, a good God makes everything Adam and Eve, made in his image to know him, to love him, to trust him to trust his authority. So God's word is, hey, I'm good, I love you, trust me, you'll flourish, you'll thrive. And then Satan enters into the garden and what's the first thing he does? It's not a nightmare, he's not, he's not roaring, he's not scary, he, co- he comes in a way and he just wants to talk, right? He just wants to talk. Demons are very subtle most of the time. They just wanna talk and, they, and they'll say to you something like this, you know what, I don't think God really loves you. And I don't think you can really trust his word. He won't make you happy. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. He just wants to control you. So deny his authority and let's go with something else instead. And it sounds so good and so sweet and you think, oh, if I just had it, it will be so worth it. And before you know it, your life is a wreck. That's what demons do with God's authority All the time. They want to twist it. They want to taint it so you won't trust it so they can destroy you. That's the whole idea. Well, here, I think when Jesus comes, the demons just don't even know what to do anymore. They're not doing subtle work. They're just, um, I don't know, they're freaking out. They're exploding. They're attacking. And so you hear this eruption from this demon. Wow. What does Jesus do now? as this poor guy, see what Jesus does in verse 35? But Jesus, what, rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. So again, can you imagine this? Dude stands up, starts yelling. Jesus says, shut up and get out. And what does the Neban do? He shuts up and he gets out. That's what we call authority. He shuts up and he gets out. And moreover, Luke wants to make sure you see that. After the demon had thrown the man down in their midst, he came out of the man having done him what? No harm. Jesus has set this man free. With what? The word of his authority. So, what did Jesus say earlier? I'm the servant of the Lord. I come proclaiming liberation for the captives. I have authority. My word has the power. It gets tested. And Jesus says, Shut up and come out. And what happens? He shuts up and comes out. And guess what's proven? His word really does have authority to liberate the captives and set people free. His word has authority to save you from Satan and his power and it's tempting, and his oppression. Why is this? It's real interesting, isn't it? The demons seem to know in this story what no one else has quite caught on to yet. What does the demon say in verse 34? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He's kind of like, hey, this is our playground. You're not from here. Why are you here? Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus is like, uh-huh. We know who you are, and what does the demon say? I know who you are. You're a good teacher, and everyone should listen to your advice. Is that what the demon said? Is that what kind of authority Jesus has, good teacher authority, Dr. Phil authority? I've written three books. You should listen to me. Is that the kind of authority Jesus has? You really need to figure this out. Is Jesus a good advice kind of authority? Yes, and the, the demon knows who he is. He's seen Jesus before. Who is Jesus? He's the Holy One of God. He's the Son of God. He's the promised King. He's the Christ. What kind of authority is that? Ultimate authority. Ultimate authority. So, so Luke's first example here, right? This is an example of the authority of Jesus and his word. His word has authority to liberate you from Satan and his power because of who he is. Who is he? He's the Holy One of God. Verse 38, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. So it's just like us, you guys. Church is over. Where does Jesus go after church? He goes to somebody's house for lunch, okay? Listen, little plug here should have each other over for lunch after church. I'm not even kidding. Should have each other over for lunch and when you bring friends, you should have them over for lunch and you should talk. You never know what can happen. When you have somebody over for lunch after church, talk about God, talk about what he's doing, fellowshipping together. I mean that sincerely, but here, hey, even better, right? Jesus, you wanna come over for lunch? Sure. Now you just watched Jesus kick a demon out of a man And you go to Simon's house, how's Simon's mother-in-law feeling? She's sick with what? A high fever. And a high fever, that's pretty rotten, but if you're overseas in the third world or if you're in the ancient world, a high fever is more than just rotten, it's serious. And so you can see how this goes, right? If uh, you had Jesus over for lunch after he just kicked the demon out and you're like, hmm, mother-in-law has a high fever, I guess Peter liked his mother-in-law, You think uh, if you've got authority over the fever, maybe you, and, and look, look what they said. They, they appealed to him, to her, on her behalf. And so what does he do? Same scenario, demon dude yells, Jesus rebukes the demon, demon leaves. Now who's, now who's Jesus gonna talk to? He talks to the fever. Uh, later in Luke, he's gonna talk to the weather. And what's funny is I can talk to my fever, nothing seems to happen, and people think I'm strange, crazy. I could talk to the weather, really nothing seems to happen, okay? Jesus talks to demons, the weather, and a fever, and what happens? They all listen. So Jesus says to the, he rebukes the fever, and what happens? She's healed. She's healed. She's perfectly healed, and Luke wants to show you just how healed she is, because how healed is she? She was feeling weak and decided to stay in bed the rest of the afternoon. Nope. Nope. Immediately, she rose and began to serve them. She's like many of you. If somebody comes over to your house after church, you gotta make them your famous apple pie, right? You gotta treat them well. You gotta show them hospitality. And Luke's mother, or Peter's mother-in-law feels so well, she's ready to serve. Wow. Well, if you can imagine, maybe you, were, maybe you had come over to Peter's for lunch too, and you saw this, and you were at church and you'd seen that, And you remember Uncle Steve has a problem. And somebody else remembers neighbor Susie has a problem. And and what's happening in this village? And look at how Jesus spends his Sunday evening. Verse 40. When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. Everybody sick in the entire town is now at Peter's house. (laughs) What does this look like? Can you imagine? This is kind of excited chaos. And listen, I gotta be honest. Uh, we have some sickness in my family. We've gone to things where people try to help and heal the sick. It's this horrible sense of anticipation and hope. and In this case, the person actually can, can get it done. <laughs> and so imagine one after the other. Look what Jesus does all night long. He laid his hands on every one of them. I love this about Jesus. What have we seen so far? Did he need to lay his hands on the guy with the demon? No, what, what has power? His word, get out. Did the text show us necessarily that he laid his hands on Peter's mother-in-law? Well, we don't know, it just said rebuked, but again, the emphasis is on the power. So can Jesus just heal with the word of his power? Easy. Why then does he lay his hands on them? He could just be like, "Be healed," and the whole crowd's like, (laughs) "But each one, he gives." You feel it already. It's God's compassion for the poor, the oppressed, the sick, the weak. I mean, here you and I are, and we have this. Maybe you have this great view of Jesus, and you think, "Wow, he's awesome," and you're like, "Yeah, I know he loves people." But isn't there this haunting question of, "Does he love me? Does he see me? Does he care about my life?" my mess, my mistakes. I mean, I'm a nobody. I've screwed it up. Why would he care about me? And this picture is just to show you he cares about you. Jesus would would stay up all night so that he could have a one-on-one and lay hands on every single person who came to him. And he healed every single one. What a night. What a night. You see, Jesus really is the servant of the Lord whose word has power to liberate, not only from the power of Satan, but also from what? Sickness. The power of his word to liberate us from sickness. Wow. Now somebody, you might be feeling a little uh, skeptical here. I don't blame you. I hear about miracles and such, and I'm often skeptical. So you could say, hey, is this just a myth, you know, Jesus healing everybody in the city. Well, let me raise this point to you. Uh, There's really good reason, historical 60s AD, okay? How many years after Jesus' ministry would that be? About 30, give or take. So how many of you have lived in Orange County for 30 years, okay? How many of you remember that great healer from Anaheim back in the early 90s? Remember, healed everybody in the city? Everybody saw it. Remember the whole city went to that great healer, healed them all. You guys remember that? No? Why not? Because there wasn't one. Okay. And if I tried to write a book right now about the great healer of Anaheim, who healed everyone, how well would that book go? Especially if I was trying to call it history. Because you'd all be like, we lived here, there wasn't one. Why can Luke get away with it? Why does everybody keep his book and read it? Why do why did Jesus' enemies even go, he was a magician? Because hmm. he did it. it. is if it's real, he really had this kind of power. Why? Well, again, the demons are crying out. There's some other people with demons, and they're crying out. And what are they saying? It's in verse 41. Demons also came out of many crying, you're the son of God. Why does he have such power to talk to fevers and they leave? You're the son of God. You're the one bringing liberty to the oppressed. Do you see see the power of his word over Satan and the power of his word over sickness? Power of his word for liberation to set us free. Now let's see the scope of his liberation. Look at verse 42. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. As you read through Luke, he does this all the time. Jesus does this all the time. Why do you think he likes to go hiking? Well, I mean, he made it. It's beautiful. Maybe he likes nature. But you also see as you read through Luke, he goes there to pray all the time, especially after massive crowd situations. Can you imagine what it must have been like? It's hard to imagine it. How would this whole city feel about Jesus now that he's basically wiped out sickness? They're, uh, they're infatuated, right? And so he has to get away and he has to pray. He has to recenter on who he is and what his father wants. Guess what that means for, for you and for me? You wanna stay centered on what God has for your life, you gotta get away and spend time with him. You gotta pray, you gotta hear his voice, you gotta remember who you are, you gotta remember what he's called you to. Jesus gets away He gets away to pray. Verse 42, people came and sought him, came to him, and what do they want? End of verse 42. They would have kept him from leaving. Stay here. Stay here with us. We'll just have a happy Capernaum Jesus Club. Stay here. You think it's tempting when everybody likes you to stay there? Yeah, yeah. It is. And what does Jesus say, verse 43? I got to go. He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And it reminds you of the scope of Jesus' liberation. Is it just for the go to Judea? Is it just for Judea? Nope. He's going to go into Samaria. Is it just for Samaria? He's going to go and on and on, and later on he's going to tell his disciples, to "Be witnesses, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." This liberation in the authority of Jesus' word is for the world. It's for the world. It's for you and for me, even today. How does this play possessed with a demon? I guess he can grab a group of us and we'll pray for you after the service um please don't yell at me while i'm still talking (laughs) but that's probably not your problem this morning um and then here's the frustration right don't you wish it was like this in the modern day church where we just laid hands on you and you were healed oh my gosh oh my gosh we wish for that. Now, do you believe God will heal people sometimes? Sure, I think there's good reasons to believe that. But is that the way it regularly works? No, it's not. It's not. And so we see these stories, and we're amazed by Jesus' power. And we see, okay, Luke, I see you giving me proof that Jesus' word does have power to liberate. But what does it mean for me right now? Well, here's what I mean by well, you have to go deeper. You have to go deeper. I want to ask a few questions with you. Maybe, maybe one of you, you were thinking of this already. Remember back in chapter 4, crying, you are the son of God. And what's Jesus' response to them? He rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Does that make you go, huh? Is Jesus the Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Does he want the world to know he's the Christ? Yeah. Do the demons know he's the Christ? Yeah. Does he want the demons to tell the world he's the Christ? The disciples later on, look at Matthew 16, 20. This is after that famous story where Jesus says, who do you guys say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. Matthew 16, 20. Look what he says to his disciples. He strictly charged the disciples to what? Tell no one that he was the Christ. Anybody else going? Why? Why? There's this great word, this Greek word, in what Jesus said about himself in Luke. Liberty. His word has power to liberate, set people free. I'm no Greek expert, but it's something like aphasis. I think I'm saying it right. It's the Greek word underneath that liberate. That word stays away in Luke until the very end of the book in Luke 24, and I wanna show you where it's used. Look at Luke 24, 45 to 47. Luke 24, 45 to 47. Then he opened their, this is after Jesus' resurrection, okay? This is after his death and his resurrection. He says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to him, thus it is written, That the Christ should what? Suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for thee, and guess what that forgiveness word is? Ephesus. It's a liberating forgiveness. It's a forgiveness that sets you free. That repentance for the forgiveness beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So here's my theory. Why does Jesus tell the demons and even the disciples not to proclaim yet that he's the Christ? Because the greatest work of liberation has not yet taken place. The message is not yet fulfilled. It's not yet complete. The ultimate work of liberation is when Jesus Christ goes to the cross and it's after his cross, and after his resurrection, then, now the message is complete. You realize, you realize guys, as amazing as that exorcism was back in that synagogue, as amazing it would be to see Jesus heal somebody, guess what happened to every one of those people that got healed? They got sick and died later, okay? Wouldn't it be great to be healed right now? Yes, and guess what's gonna happen later? You're going to get sick again and you're going to die. It's never going to reach, going to get there. All those miracles Jesus did, what are they? Well, are they love and are they service? Yes. And is it out of compassion? Yes. And does Jesus love to bless people and help people? Yes. But are they complete? Is that the full story? Or is it just an appetizer on what's coming? This is the word of liberation right here. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. What does Paul say? Cross. It's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is a power of God. The authoritative word that can set you free, that can liberate you, is the word of Jesus' cross. It's the word. Jesus showed us that his word had power to liberate us from Satan, right? He healed that guy, and the guy was left um, at peace, healthy, whole. How does Jesus set, how, how does the word of, cro- of the cross? Liberate you and me from the work of Satan right now. Huh. First of all, there's the penalty of sin. You know, Satan's known as the accuser, right? This is what he does. Uh, so he's gonna tempt you. Word. Let's go to, and then what's, what's some of the sins in this room? <laughs> I'm not calling callin anybody out specific. All of us, right? Okay, all of us. Hey, if you go and look at porn, you'll really be happy. Hey, if you go and have another drink, you'll really be taken care of. Hey, actually, if you build up your career and you make lots of money and your 401k is healthy and whole, that's what life is all about. Hey, if you have that relationship or if you have that, hey, if you just go, forget God, go over here. Oh, yeah, that'll make me happy. And you go there, right? And then once you go there and you're down, have you heard this? You stink. Look what you did. You went back to that again? You're still struggling with the same thing? You're hopeless, you're disgusting. You think God has room for you? You think God still wants to see your dirty face? You're a failure, go away, give up, have another drink. Go after it again, there's no hope, you might as well, it's over. heard his voice and Jesus steps in with the word of the cross. And what does the word of the cross say to failures like you and me? The word of the cross says, your sin has been paid for by someone else. That Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, but he went to the cross in your place. Remember that Greek word, aphasis. It's forgiveness that liberates, that sets you free. You can see that Jesus has died. The word of the cross liberates. We can be forgiven. The word of the cross makes you right with God. Who are you right now? How do you see yourself? Are you looking to a law or a standard to make you somebody? Hey, I'm a good person. I'm successful. Or are you saying, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. What are you saying? You know what I wish everybody in here could say from their heart of hearts, me included, is, I'm a child of God. Can you say that about yourself? I'm a daughter of God. How could you ever say that? It's the word of the cross. Jesus died for me and he's given me through faith in him his righteousness. And God's word says through that because of that I've been adopted. And you know that the Christian ethic is not hey I'm watching you you better try to do better. Right? Is, that, is that how you think God wants you to live your life? Okay, you're forgiven for some of your sins, and I'm gonna watch you, God says. You better try to do that and he's, do better, and he's watching you, and he's like, mm. is that how it goes? Cross, all your sins are forgiven. You have the righteousness of my son. I've adopted you as my child. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. Now be who you are. You're loved, so be who you are. You're forgiven, so be who you are. Start again. The word of the cross makes you right with God. What does the word of the cross do to your fear? Does anyone ever fear captive, uh, feel captive to their fear or do you not do because you're afraid? How many bad things have you done because you were afraid? How much does anxiety distract you from living? It's chains, isn't it? It's chains. Can the word of the cross set you free from that? How much does God love you if he sent his son for the cross? son for you on the cross, so much unconditionally. You think God's gonna give up on you now? No, you think of something like Romans eight, if he gave up his own son for you, he's he's got you on his mind always. He's always gonna be there for you, you can trust him. What's that, it can liberate you, it can set you free. How about this? the word of the cross can liberate you from, that, from, the, from the power of sin. So we've seen the word of cross liberates you from the penalty of sin, right? I deserve God's wrath. Jesus took it for me. I, I've been set free. But what about the power of, the si- of, of sin? So that think of those behaviors you keep going back to, right? They have a power over you. You know everybody serves something, right? You're serving something. It's on your mind. You think, if I just have this, the power of sin. Can the word of well, I think every time we sin, Every time we rebel, we're saying to God, I don't think you're good and I don't think I can trust you. What do you think? I don't think you're good and I don't think I can trust you. And I guess one question we might ask is, what could God do to prove to you that he's good and you could trust him? What could he do? Could he give up his own son for you, would that do it? Would you believe that he loves you in that case? Would you believe then that his word is life and good and true and that following him actually is the good life, that happiness, blessedness comes in, obedience, power of sin? You know what else the word of the cross can do? It can liberate you in order to liberate others. How did Jesus' disciples handle his crucifixion? You remember on the way there, Peter's like, oh, Jesus, if anybody tries to come take you, hey, right Jesus and 30 seconds later a 14 year old girl comes out to Peter in the courtyard and says weren't you with Jesus and Peter's like I don't know him right all the disciples run they run they're terrified they're scared a couple weeks later they're preaching in the temple with more boldness you can ever imagine what happened It was the word of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that came as they trusted that cross and it filled them with boldness. They've been set free and give themselves to serve others. Can the word of the cross set you free so that you, what did we see? So that you could proclaim this word to others, so that you could proclaim this liberation to those who need it. What's Luke trying to tell you? Who is Jesus? He's the Holy One of God. He's the promise. He's come to liberate. His word has power over Satan, over sickness. Does his word have power over sickness? When are we gonna taste that? Does the word of the cross give you? He rose. And what's his promise to us? We will rise. No more sickness, no more pain, no more sin. His word has authority to liberate because he's the son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. Now the question for you and for me is, do you know that liberation? Have you been set free? Where can he set you free more fully? You know, it's been said, it's slavery out of the slave. If you trust Christ, you have been set free. And now the work is to learn it. It's to experience it. It's to trust it. It's to believe you are who he says you are. And live in the light of that. Jesus' word has power to liberate us because he's the son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. Press into and share it with others. Isn't that what this text is about? May it be so. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www folfcrc.com.